What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented by VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang. And because of scheduling conflicts, unfortunately, Pat is not here on this episode. So it is me flying solo today. But what an episode it is. Here Pat and I were on Tuesday thinking that Island Ray's episode would really fly this week and we would let that take the focus. Villanova goes out on Tuesday night in one of the toughest road atmospheres in the country. I think people would be comfortable saying that at Cintas Center against Xavier and ekes out a 64-63 to win. The first quad one win for Villanova, the by far best win of the season, the first true road conference win of the season because again pat and i have made it very clear that we don't necessarily consider at st john's at madison square garden where half of the fans are rooting for villanova a true road win and potentially most importantly in a crazy tuesday night of big east basketball the first home loss that a top four team in the conference i.e marquette xavier providence or creighton So Villanova goes out and is able to do all of those things, but most importantly for morale, for confidence, to prove to everybody that they could. Villanova beats one of the best teams in the conference. I'm going to talk through a lot of different things, and then I will let our mailbag questions. We got so so many of them, and I'm so thankful for those. So excited to get to those. But the key points I'm going to talk about are the reemergence of Justin Moore. Oh, my God, something that I'm sure we can all bond over. Villanova's defense, and then a lot of talking points about the rotation because I think that is something definitely of note the way that Kyle Neptune subbed in his bench and also tinkered with the starting five throughout the game. Of course, I'm going to finish up previewing Creighton over the weekend and then I will get into those mailbag questions. So just to start with some some key points, some key takeaways, I unfortunately wasn't able to follow along on Twitter for this game and I am so disappointed that I wasn't able to do that because this would have been the perfect game to live tweet with the the roller coaster of emotions that I'm sure everybody was feeling the basic takeaway I have is that Villanova didn't let Xavier beat them over the small things over the small things they stayed high on switches Villanova communicated better on defense they had better possessions on offense the first half was definitely ugly at times there were they were at a 13-point deficit at one point of this game, and it felt like kind of ho-hum, Xavier at home, Villanova on the road stereotypes. But this team closed against a really good team for the first time this season. I'm going to bring up points like second-half defense, something that Pat loves talking about. They were able to limit Xavier offensively in the second half. It's that first quad one win. It's the first big road win, and it's Xavier's first home loss in conference play. So the offense finally clicked again, a 64 to 63 win. I don't think inspires crazy confidence about this team's offensive ceiling, but something that we talked about with Alan Ray on Tuesday's episode, it was a phenomenal episode. Pat and I thought one of the best of the season. So make sure to listen to that. If you haven't already, he talked a little bit about how much it helped his teams when he was at Villanova when Coach Wright would assign players responsibilities. The shooters had assignments, the bigs had assignments, and then Randy Foy, for example, Jay Wright didn't want him to shoot as much. He wanted him to be the driver to the basket. 
it feel like that happened against Xavier, especially in the second half on Tuesday night. Guys had assignments. They knew what to do. Dixon was dominant down low. And to put it bluntly, the out, the offense outplayed Xavier in the second half. And that was what allowed them to close. I'm going to address the elephant in the room early in that I'm sure all of us as Kyle Neptune was drawing up that play, the last possession while up one to try and really seal the win here that the fadeaway Eric Dixon three off of a screen wasn't going to be the game call. And then to watch Eric Dixon not take an open three was absolutely hilarious, but we can laugh at it now because they secured the win. I have to start with this episode. The fact that I'm even this far in without talking about how him already is a disservice, but this was the Justin Moore game. 25 points on 10 of 13 shooting. He was four for seven from three. It was amazing to see that three come along as the game went on. Three assists, only two turnovers. He played a team-high 35 minutes. Minutes distribution, I think this has been handled really well by the entire coaching staff and training staff at Villanova. Has never been an issue for Justin because he seemed to come back when there was no minute restriction. He was able to play. We know that he and Neptune have stated that he is at 70% at times. This definitely did not look like 70% of Justin Moore. And if it was watch out (laughs) either next year as he comes back to Villanova or wherever he ends up being next year. This was one of the best players in the country version of Justin Moore that we see last year. I don't think there's any reason to look too far ahead because he could go out and have a tough shooting night against Creighton. A tough shooting night has been kind of an easy way to sum up what he's been doing in his game since returning against Providence at Wells Fargo center a few weeks ago, we've never undervalued what else he brings like his defensive presence, the way he's able to facilitate the offense. It's no coincidence that a lot of those categories have gone up since he's been back, but to see him have just a pure phenomenal shooting night where he can be the guy who can hit the three with two minutes left to really seal that game and close it for Villanova was a huge sigh of relief. I'm sure I'm not alone when that happened, and it feels like he can now be a player that the team can rely on down in the stretch because, as we're going to talk about a lot in this episode, they still have three remaining games that they have to go out and win to instill more confidence for this team's potential deep run in the Big East tournament. So a lot of positives to get to. I wanted to start with some first-half issues because – As I mentioned in the opening, Villanova was down at 13, down by 13 at one point in the first half. It was same old, the poor offense, stagnant offense, passes along the three-point line. I was surprised at times, and this wasn't something that was unique to the first half, but Villanova didn't control the tempo and the pace like I expected them to. There was really bad transition defense because they weren't making a lot of shots on offense, And then that led to mostly Sule Boom hitting a ton of amazing shots in the first half. But Armstrong had a pretty, had rain to play the pace the way he wanted to. And that usually resulted in him driving to the basket pretty early in the shot clock. A lot of some of the other young guys putting up shots early in the shot clock. But in the first half, at least at the beginning of it, it was not good play from Villanova. And it felt like this was going to go into the same sort of category where They get down, they make a run, they play tough, and then they lose it at the end. 
of the second half and the team ends up winning. But in this type of environment to close the way they did was just huge. And a main reason for that is because of Villanova's defense. We've mentioned kind of with trepidation over the last few episodes that Villanova's defensive metrics have continued to improve. And Justin Moore is a big reason for that. We've seen Dixon play better defense. We've seen somebody like Chris Archie Diakno come off the bench and play better defense than we've seen all season. You do not win that game on Tuesday night without the performance that Chris Arch had. So that's just a teaser for that. I'm going to talk about him and Armstrong more in a little bit. But Villanova's defense, they just, for the second time this season, they limited Xavier's output. Xavier only scored 63 points. That was their lowest scoring total this season by far. And they're one of the best offensive teams in the country, let alone the conference. In the country, they only took 51 field goal attempts on Tuesday, and they only shot 45% from the field. This is a team that has scored 90 or more points six times this season. So they're no stranger to ratcheting up the offense. It is full credit to Villanova's defense forcing these guys into tough shots. Sule Boom did not have a credit did not have an incredible second half. He ended up four for nine from three, which is still really great. But there were at least two or three wide open threes that he missed. So that was a break, a positive break in Villanova's direction. But the second half defense, especially, they only allowed 27 second half points. They allowed 49 to PC last week. They allowed 53 points in the second half to Xavier in the first meeting. So if we are purely looking at the differences between Villanova's play the first time against Xavier and the second time, you can see huge positives. And a big reason for that is because Xavier was sans Zach Fremantle, who's a huge defensive presence for them. And Villanova was plus Jordan Longino and Justin Moore, who obviously had an incredible offensive performance turnovers is another huge thing that we have to talk about Villanova did a really good job turning Xavier over at a really high clip and it was in different ways Pat and I mentioned that Xavier could be had they're a weird team because nobody's arguing how good they are but now they have losses to Villanova Butler and DePaul and not a lot of other top tier teams in the conference have those times of types of losses Villanova in the past on defense when they're first forcing turnovers <clears throat> against good offenses, it's because they're being disruptive. They're forcing t- teams to travel, put up bad shots, step out of bounds, that sort of thing. It felt like a different beast against Xavier because they were anticipating passes. They were disrupting scores. You saw Arch multiple times be willing to put his body on the line to take the charge, getting in the passing lane. And the most important part and the reason why Villanova was able to turn this into a win is because they turned those defensive turnovers into offense. And that is definitely not something they have been able to do all season long. Jack Nunji, a huge part of Xavier's offense, was limited to only 12 points. 12 points and 10 rebounds definitely isn't a bad performance by any stretch of the word, but Dixon, Whitmore, I'm going to talk about the small ball lineup in a bit, which was phenomenal. They just did a really good job limiting the touches Nunji got. And even though Villanova lost the rebounding battle, something when I went back and looked at the box score, I actually was surprised that they did end up having fewer rebounds than Xavier because I thought they won in spirit in that category at least. They held their own. 
And they didn't let Xavier's offense have multiple tries because that's the way that Xavier has burned teams in the past. Nunji misses a bunny. He gets his own rebound. He kicks it out to a Colby Jones or a Sule Boom or an Adam Kunkel. You could literally go down the list and pick any one of those guys. And they're able to nail the three. And that is what really nails the coffin in for, for so many opposing teams that Xavier has played. And for Villanova to, again, A, to sum up this whole portion, to A, just limit Xavier's output. The fact that they were only able to put up 63 points after scoring in the 90s or the 80s, even the 70s, the few times out is incredibly impressive. And then the way this defense looked based on the rotation, the communication was better. The focus was pristine down the stretch. They looked like the team that wanted it more. Villanova looked like a team that needed this type of road win. And they just outplayed Xavier down the stretch, a really good offensive team. So, so excited. I was so excited to talk about the defense because it has been such a market improvement since Moore has come back, since Whitmore came back, back all the way back at the Oklahoma game. So meshing and clicking is something that we talked about with Alan Ray a lot. And there's been a lot of frustration over, even though now everybody is healthy, it's taken a few games for everything to came to come together. They, they lost the Providence game. They lost the Marquette game. They lost the Creighton game. They lost the Providence again on the road. Finally, Xavier was the the sum of all of its parts game. Everything came together and, and Villanova was able to close and get the win. The thing that I'm also extremely excited to talk about is rotation and the way that Kyle Neptune led his team to a win because that is exactly what happened. This was a different game plan, a different mindset for Villanova. And we saw things that we hadn't seen before, mostly a small ball lineup against one of the best bigs in the country in Jack Dungey. And there were times when that small ball rotation worked best. So to start things off, Slater and Dixon got in quick, early foul trouble. So that obviously turns the game plan over on its head. We knew that Dixon was going to be a key coming into this game, and he still had a really good performance. You don't you don't win this game without Dixon, too. Even though it was only eight points, this actually might have been the first time that he was in single digits all game. The defensive presence was there. The way he was able to pass, set screens, that got the offense going. But Brandon Slater, 11 minutes. All three bench guys, Armstrong, Longino, and Arch, plus all of the other four starters, obviously, had more minutes than Slater. So a significantly lesser limited role for him. But just to run through what some of these rotations look like, it was Armstrong, Moore, Daniels, either Longino or Arch or Whitmore. That was the small ball lineup at time. And that team went on, a, that rotation went on a run, especially at the end of the first half, beginning of the second half. I liked the rotation of Armstrong, Moore, Longino or Arch, Whitmore and Dixon. I thought that worked best down the stretch, but there were also times when Longino and Arch replaced Whitmore. So it would be Armstrong, Moore, Longino, Arch, Dixon. And that also worked. So I think it's fair to come away from this game having a little bit of a pit in your stomach because they had their best game of the season with Dixon's probably worst offensive performance of the year and by far Slater's worst because he just wasn't on the court enough 
to justify anything. But I think the more positive way you can look at it, that's not undermining the importance that Slater or Daniels and even Whitmore will have down the stretch of this season. But Neptune went out and he played the hot hand. He identified that the offense looked better through Justin Moore and Mark Armstrong than it did through Daniels and Whitmore putting up bad shots. There was a time when uh, Kyle Neptune put Whitmore back in the lineup. He started putting up some early shot clock contested threes, letting up on defense, and he got pulled. So I love that type of risk, calculated risk for sure from Neptune, but they had to go out and steal one of these wins. We knew it wouldn't come by a necessarily mundane or strategic way. It was going to have to be a little bit different, and he went out and done and did it. So, so huge credit to... Kyle Neptune, the players also were the ones that got it done. So I wanted to give Arch his props. He had probably his best game of the season. He really understood defensive assignments. Yes, Sule Boom and Adam Kunkel lost him a few times. Sule Boom is by far, uh, maybe Bryce Hopkins makes that not by far, but a top two newcomer in the conference, arguably the player of the year at times. And Adam Kunkel is one of the best long-range shooters in the conference. So they're losing guys anyway, regardless of how Arch is at defense. But I thought he was a good rover. He really stood strong against Jerome Hunter and Jack Nungy, who at times had their way in the post. I mean, the beginning of this game, Pat, Eugene, and I were talking about it as it was happening to it. Xavier could have gone out and scored 60 points in the paint the way it looked in the first 10 minutes. The defense made a huge in-game adjustment one Gino played really good defense Dixon stepped up like I mentioned and then I also wanted to talk about Mark Armstrong because this has now been his second game in a row where he has not had much of a leash at all it doesn't necessarily turn into wins because Villanova lost to Providence obviously and it doesn't necessarily turn into made shots all of the time There were definitely a few frustrating points against Xavier where he would drive to the basket, blow by his defender, and just miss the bunny. But the offense looks better when he's playing that way. His plus-minus number is going up. He's turning the ball over less. Yes, he's he's still dribbling a lot, but it just feels like his IQ is rising every single time he goes up there. And going back to the assignment point that I made at the beginning of the episode he doesn't have to be the guy that goes out there and drops 10 points and makes three threes they have this version of Justin Moore and Dixon around the basket and Whitmore and Daniels etc to make and create that type of offense if Armstrong can go in and be the point guard that Villanova has missed all season long the the one position that has caused the most angst I think for the past year, and that considers the offseason, for him to go out and play that way over the last two games, you can see that he's building trust with Kyle Neptune. And take away whatever you want from this game, no matter how far ahead you're looking in terms of positivity, this version of Armstrong needs to continue. And that absolutely raises the ceiling of this Villanova team and future Villanova teams if Armstrong continues to play that way. So, Again, just to to circle back to my main takeaways, what an exciting game. You are a better person than I am if, as you're watching the second half past the five, six-minute mark, you're thinking, oh, my God, if they 
lose. I'm going to be able to keep my head because they were supposed to lose this game anyway. I would have been destroyed morally if they lost that one. Again, I said from the jump of last episode, I had no intention of Villanova winning this game. Absolutely none. Of all the games that they have in the future, I thought they had a better chance of winning those versus Xavier on the road, one of the best offensive teams in the country. But their defense could be had, and Villanova had it. They exploited weaknesses. They exploited the absence of Jack of uh, Zach Fremantle. The offense looked really good. It was clicking. Guys understood their assignments, and the young guys stepped up. It's not a coincidence that we saw Armstrong, Longino, Arch isn't necessarily a young guy, but definitely a bench guy. And then Dixon and more carry this team. And I, I give a lot of props to Kyle Neptune. This might not have happened last year under Jay Wright to ride the young guys because they're giving better performances than we were seeing from Daniel Slater and even Whitmore at time. So it was nice to see that wrinkle added in. Of course, with a win, we're going to have a lot more to say anyways, but that was a huge wrinkle that we haven't seen a lot this season. Now we know that the team can use it as a strength and as an advantage going into the final stretch of this season. So there are a few more counterpoints that the mailbag questions bring up. So I'll leave it there for the Xavier talk. We'll get into a little bit more in that question section, but It's time now to turn our eyes towards the weekend when Villanova takes on Creighton at home. Final three games of the season, two of the three at the uh, Wells Fargo Center and the Pavilion versus 19 Creighton on Saturday at noon. Quick plug here that I will be going on Chris Nataro's tip time show at 1130 before the game on Saturday. So make your make sure you are subscribed to him. It is at Nova tip time on Twitter. You can watch the the show through Twitter. And then you can also find it on YouTube if that is more of your thing. So I'm super excited for that. But now turning completely to Creighton, a a huge ask. They've lost two heartbreakers in their last two games as well. A double overtime loss to Providence a few games ago. And then right after the Villanova game on Tuesday night, a last possession loss to Marquette. So I mentioned that how many things were mixed up on Tuesday night that started with Villanova's win, but Marquette also beat Creighton on the road. One of those teams, one of those top four teams in the conference that hadn't yet lost on the road. Two of them go down on Tuesday night, and they also happen to be two of the best four teams in the conference. So Marquette pulls out that huge win. Unless something crazy happens, they probably solidify themselves as the number one seed In the Big East going into the tournament, they probably secure themselves the Big East regular season title. Very well-deserved. Pat and I, I think, agree that full strength, Xavier is still probably the number one team in this conference, but Xavier's not full strength. And Marquette has played really well of late and throughout the season. Tyler Kolick, I know a lot of people are calling for him to be the Big East player of the year. So all that to say, Creighton's lost two heartbreakers. They are still vying for either the two, three, or four seed because there's still a lot of different options for the top of the conference going into the tournament. They're going to want this one. And it's so funny watching these broadcasts. You always hear the broadcasters bring up Villanova's record against these teams. Like I think for Xavier, before Villanova's win, Villanova had won 32 of the 39 at Cintas. So these teams, especially Creighton coming into Villanova, knowing that they're not as strong as they've been in the past, they want this game and they need it. 
Similar to the Xavier game plan, Villanova just has to limit Creighton's offensive output. Last time out, it was Trey Alexander. He scored 27 points, five for nine from three. That was the stretch where it seemed like everybody was having a career three-point shooting performance against Villanova. I don't even have to go down the list. You'll remember the Stevie Mitchells and Andre Jacksons and, and Trey Alexander fell right into that mold. But positives from that game, it was only a 66-61 to 61 loss. Villanova played them very tough. Trey Alexander was really the only guy that hurt them. Of course, besides Kalkbrenner down low, he had 16 points, but that's the norm for somebody like Kalkbrenner. Same with Nunji's 12 and 10. I think you can take that as a win. If Villanova can limit Kalkbrenner to 15 or less points, that is considered a win. Even though we didn't see how good Baylor Shireman, Ryan Nemhard, and Arthur Kaluma can be against Villanova the first time out, they are incredibly dangerous. I'm not sure what Baylor Shireman's at the end of his career at Creighton, what it will be like. The three-point shooting certainly has not been nearly as good as it was in the past. I believe he was at SDSU before that. He hasn't been able to knock down the three like a lot of Creighton fans hoped. He was three for 11 against Marquette on Tuesday night from long range. Ryan Nemhard, we've seen him before. He, We know how he can facilitate that offense. And Arthur Kaluma has hurt Villanova from three in the past. So, the big thing about Creighton is that they're either going to catch and shoot the ball when they get it to their shooters, like all the guys I just mentioned, or they are going to pump fake and drive. And all five positions can do that really well. I watched a few highlight packages of the game from Tuesday, and you are seeing Marquette defenders jumping all over the place. So we know how good Villanova is at staying on the ground, keeping their defensive set, but switching defense is going to be incredibly important against Creighton because like Xavier their offense can beat you in so many ways Xavier only had 51 shot attempts against Villanova I think if they can keep it against Creighton in the 50 to 60 attempt range that's going to be really really crucial again talking about expectations it's so wild to think about Pat and I had absolutely no wishes for Villanova to even go out and beat Xavier on the road because of the road environment. We hoped and kind of expected, again, if there's going to be talk about Villanova making a run in the tournament, for Villanova to go out at home and beat either Creighton or UConn. I am a huge believer in momentum. I think they can go out and win this Creighton one. It's going to take the same type of gritty performance that it did against Xavier. They're going to have the home crowd behind them, especially at Wells Fargo. It's going to be an electric atmosphere. Make sure to go out there if you can. I'm so disappointed I won't be there. But just to put in perspective how big this Xavier win is, last year's team, it reminded me of the Providence win last year at Providence where Gillespie hit that huge shot to win it. That would have been a big ask for a Final Four team. The fact that Villanova went out and beat Xavier on the road as currently constituted is a big deal. Can we expect the same type of results for the end of the season? No, of course not. We've sh- they, they've shown that consistency and durability have not been their strength so far this season. But build upon the momentum that they built at Xavier, play strong defense, continue tinkering with the rotation, and hopefully Dixon, Slater, and Whitmore can take bigger offensive steps against Creighton. But the biggest thing is just going to be keeping Creighton in that 60 to 70 point range 
Because even as good as Justin Moore looked on Tuesday night, Villanova cannot win in the 80s. They cannot beat a team with that much offensive output. So I'm going to give a tentative win to Creighton. I still think UConn is a really, really tough team to play. And Villanova might match up against Creighton a little bit better. So that is the the teaser, I should say, of all my thoughts about Xavier previewing Creighton. But we have so many good mailbag questions that I am so excited to get into. So this is normally Pat's job to run through these. But I'm going to do my best to run through them myself. We had a bunch of new people uh, put in questions, which I'm so thankful for. Thank Thanks, everybody, so much. And then we had some of our our stalwarts coming in too. So I'm going to start with David Letts. He asked Pat and I, has the Achilles heel for this team really been a quote unquote lack of trust in each other? Why do we sometimes overcommit on D and leave someone open in a switch or why have someone play hero ball and dribble without looking? But then he said it's improving. I think it is improving. And I think this is something that we talked about with Alan Ray too, just the amount of time it's taken this team to really mesh together. I'm not sure if, Overcommitting on switches is necessarily a lack of trust in the guy being the primary defender. I just think you see guys like Slater, Daniels, and Whitmore overcommit because they think they can add some help to a big, but then the bigger fall there is letting the Kunkel hit you or the boom hit you from three. Volnova has been hurt in a lot of different ways this season. So I think it's up to you to decide if you would rather have the big dominate versus the three-point guys. I'd rather have the big dominate because they're probably going to do that anyway. And if Villanova can keep improving their three-point defense, I think that's going to help out a lot. So thank you, David, for the question. Moving on to Big Tasty. No housing at all on Tuesday night. Any idea why? So I specifically didn't talk about housing in the rotation portion of the pod because of this specific question. I think Pat and I would agree here that we are both proponents of giving Hausen decent minutes in the rotation, somewhere in that six to 10 minute range. You could say the same thing about Arch. He ended up logging, I believe it was 21 or 22 minutes. Yeah, 21 minutes on Tuesday night. So that was also incredibly higher than it has been since Moore came back and he was pushed to a bench roll. There have been times this season, I think, where Neptune Neptune has risked the defensive woes that come when Hawzen comes into the rotation because of the offensive boost that you can get. And, And quite frankly, Villanova could not afford to waste a single possession defensively against Xavier. They needed their best five defensive players every single time in the second half. I would have loved to see Hausen come out of some timeouts. I feel like I've been saying this all season long, so I can't even go too too deep into this hole. But would love game planning for Hausen out of timeouts, especially try and get that shot up. And nobody's going to argue that Villanova needs him on the floor because of the three-point shooting that he brings. But I was okay not seeing him in this game specifically, not down the stretch, in this game specifically, because the defense just needed to be in tip-top shape. And... With Hawson, you run the risk of that not happening. Jared had two questions. His first was some some thoughts at the beginning. Offensively, we looked much better with ball movement, driving to the basket, making extra passes, assists going up. That was something that I didn't explicitly mention, but it's definitely true that the ball movement looked much better. 
He says, it seems like the offensive game plan is different every game, though. And instead of sticking with what worked in the past game, do you think that will continue on Saturday? I thought this was a really astute observation because it's something Pat and I have talked about, too. We've seen Dixon dominate down low. He did it in the Creighton game, first time out. But we don't see that game plan happen every single game. It does still feel like the DNA of this team is to shoot him up and sleep in the streets. The interesting about the Xavier win is I thought it was a really balanced effort. So it almost gives them a little bit of a of an excuse to just do exactly what they did against Xavier. Because they did a little bit of everything. And the the biggest jump for me was that defense. The transition D was so bad at the beginning. They were able to, they were able to shore that up because they were able to put better offensive sets together. And then when they were set on D, they got some really big stops. So that's what I'm looking for against Creighton more so than unfortunately just kind of tiring myself out and leaving myself to be hurt when we know how much we want to see Dixon down low. And sometimes we get caught putting up way too many three-point shots. His second question was, do you think it is a coincidence that we went on runs and looked so much better when Daniels and Slater were out with foul trouble and had Longino, Armstrong, and Arch in their places. I was extremely excited about this question just to put into perspective where we are this year versus even earlier this season. And especially last season when we were talking about bench depth. So pretty funny that this is even a thought. I think I made my thoughts on a pretty clear Neptune had his hand forced, but he at the end when all guys could have played went with who was working best, which was Armstrong, Moore, Longino, Arch and Dixon. Matt Berger do you think we went out until the semis of the big do you think if we went out until the semis of the Big East tourna- tournament we are an at large conversation? I'm still going to say no. I think I would caution people to think that Villanova has the chance to win out just because of the caliber of opponents that they're going to play. This was a huge win. This was a needed win for everything under the sun including morale and tournament hopes and all of that but I'm still going to say no just because they put themselves at such a a disadvantage going so long into the season without getting a quad one win. Stephen Kemp put in a question. uh, It's a similar one about Jared's uh, blessing in disguise that Daniels and Slater had early foul trouble seemed like we found a rotation that was successful and then went back to this in the second half. I think the key part of that question is went back to this in the second half. That hasn't happened at times before. We've seen guys just continue to get into the rut of bad offensive sets where they're putting up contested shots early in the shot clock. Daniels has had turnover troubles at times. He has not been able to find his shot lately. And I just give Neptune a ton of props for relying on the young guys and the young guys stepping up and being able to do that. Moving along here, I'm going to go to Tom Zhang next. Three amazing questions. So excited I'm able to run through these now. His first is, should Neptune focus on portal players with more than one year of eligibility? I like that this is different than just what are Neptune's transfer hopes because we know that he has to go to the portal literally to just fill the roster because so many guys will be leasing. And there are still a few unknowns too. I like the idea of having more than one year of eligibility. And I think that's the way that this has been working in the past because You have guys like Eric Paschal and Caleb Daniels really understand the team and the rotation, and then it takes them another year or two before they become key contributors. Daniels, especially in his fifth year, is doing that to a T. So I like the idea, especially the way that the Villanova system works. We know how hard it can be to adapt to it, especially if 
freshmen are coming in and redshirting. Yes, they're going to need contributors right away, but I like the idea of them having more than one year so that they continue to that so that they can continue to grow in the system like everybody else has. His second question, he's really adding me here too. Assuming Nova does not make the tournament, which other Big East team will you root for? And he specifically said, Emma, you cannot pick Providence. So that obviously would have been my answer because of my family ties to Providence. I just think there are a lot of teams to like this year in the conference. If Seton Hall can win a few big ones and go on the bubble, that'll be an obvious one just because of the extremely low expectations for Shaheen Holloway and the way he's able to make his guys play. You also can't say the words low expectations and not put Marquette in that conversation. That's going to be another big one for me. I have a hard time rooting for Crean no matter what, but Marquette, the type of basketball they play, it's hard not to get excited to watch them. I hate when they play Villanova because they're so good and they've torched them so many times in a row now, but Shaka Smart has done exceptional jobs with his teams year after year. And I think the conference is better because Marquette is better. And that is almost all credit to Shaka in that category. And then the third, Shake Shack or Chicken Pete's at Wells Fargo. Mine is an obvious one here, Shake Shack. I love the black and white shapes there. Moving along with these questions, I said we had a really good one. I'm really excited about it. Final two here. We're going to start with Jerry, and then we're going to finish off with the full 40 because he's bringing back one of my favorite questions. Jerry said, at what point did you feel confident we would win. This is a good one because Villanova has scarred us in the past with getting our hopes up, playing really tough, and then, of course, losing potentially in the last possession. It's not only single times that we've seen that before. I think when Moore hit that three with about two minutes left, I was starting to feel really, really good. The defense had put together a a sustained enough run of stopping Xavier, but there were points where I thought, wow, Villanova went on its run too early. We still have five, six game- minutes left to play. This is going to be really tough. And then we saw more travels and turnovers in the last two minutes or so than I think I've seen since I last watched an AAU game. That was the weirdest sequence ever, including Dixon's turnover on literally the last possession. I'm sure we all had some trauma there, but for them to be able to to secure it was obviously huge. Uh Interesting question here. His second one, listening to Ryan Fannin, who was phenomenal. Pat and I have both had incredible experiences with him. Listening to him on the call last night, he talked about a toughness and determination that the team displayed. How do we sustain this for the next three games, especially against teams like Creighton at Seton Hall and versus UConn? This is going to be what it comes down to, I think. I don't think it's realistic to expect that Villanova is going to win out. And I'll say that again for the people in the back. I really don't. But I think at least winning at Xavier proves that this team can make a run in the tournament. And I think the way they did it by over-communicating, not missing defensive assignments. When the defense looks better, I think the offense automatically gets a boost, and that's happened. And to see so many guys contribute, that had to do so much for the morale. You see Arch leading the charges, literally by taking charges from the toughness, focus, determination standpoint. I thought this was just a really good, well-fought, whole-effort game. And and Ryan Fannin obviously did too. Last question from Jerry. What if, What is your favorite spring break destination? Good question also here. I went to Miami my senior year for spring break, which was really fun. Pat went to Fort Lauderdale. We were able to meet up one day, which was really fun. I've been to Nashville in the fall, so obviously a little bit of a different vibe, but that's one of the best places I've ever visited. So I think at some point in my life, I'm going to have to to do a a pseudo spring break back there again. 
And then finishing up this episode with the full 40s podcast, his first, it's the obvious one. Should I play? Should I buy plane tickets to Houston? I'm sure all of us were thinking the same thing. Now, he's joking. I'm joking. Again, let's not get too far ahead. I think there is a lot to be excited about, but there is still a lot of tougher assignments down the stretch. And though it hadn't happened yet, winning one quad one game was not Villanova's biggest goal of the season. So let's keep that in mind. As good as the win is, uh, he says, same question as last time. One and one since I last asked. Now for the next three games, ask expectation and belief. And I hope he noticed that I asked Alan the same question because I think it's such a good one. So after the Butler game, they had five games all against quad one opponents, lost to Providence on the road, beat Xavier on the road. I think Pat and I, expectation kind of paired with hope it's honestly tough to separate them at times hope they would go three and two and three we thought that they could beat Seton Hall because they're the better offensive team and we were hoping they would be able to steal one at home against Creighton or UConn the fact that they went out and beat a team like Xavier on the road one that we thought they had no business doing I think it would actually now be an extreme disappointment if they can't beat either Creighton or UConn so that's where my mindset has has shifted a little bit. I now have higher expectations because this team has shown that they can. And going back to my momentum point, I think Creighton on a Saturday afternoon at the Wells Fargo Center coming off this amazing win is the perfect time to, to keep that going and get another big win. I'm going to say that's my belief too. I think they showed a lot of stuff uh, at Xavier to prove that they can beat one of those teams. My ask is that they win too. Beat Creighton and Seton Hall. Try and go out and beat UConn. I think you can see as I'm kind of repeating myself here that winning two should be the expectation, I think. And then as things continue to mix things up, if they go out and beat Seton Hall, sweep the regular season series, Seton Hall's nine and eight in conference. Villanova's eight and nine. That gap has been closed pretty quickly. So a lot of potential scenarios. They're probably still playing on Wednesday night. There's a lot of mix up at the top as well. But more wins just gives everybody more confidence about how far this team can go in the Big East tournament. And that is exactly what they want. So I hope everybody is still feeling the really good vibes after Tuesday night's win. Once again, thank you for all the questions. That makes this solo episode much easier. But that'll be it for this episode of the State of the Nova Nation podcast. Be sure to us to be sure to follow us on Twitter at SONNPod. We love interacting with everybody. Make sure to leave us your questions for every Thursday mailbag episode. We would really appreciate it if you could leave us a rating on iTunes or Spotify that does so much for our algorithm and our morale, honestly. <laughs> but no, make sure to make to Check out VU Hoops content as well. A ton of good stuff after the win on Tuesday night and a ton of good preview content for Creighton over the weekend. We missed you, Pat, but hopefully I held down the fort here. Couldn't miss this episode because of Villanova's big win. Let's keep the morale high. Let's go into Creighton high. And Nova Nation, that's a wrap.